Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together once again, allowing us to gather together as like-minded individuals, sharing uh, thoughts with one another, encouraging one another, building one another up in Messiah, strengthening one another in the body. I thank you for the um, uh, chance to sit before the uh, Bible students and teach once again. Uh, Lord, I take the responsibility seriously, and for that reason I avail myself of the notes and the, the materials, and primarily of your words each week, pressing in so that I can um, learn of you and seek to uh, to understand what the text is saying to me so that I can um, be a good teacher and, and share that with the, uh, the students who are listening. For that reason, Lord, I pray that you'll bring to my recall the things that I have um, uh, looked over, the material that I've browsed through. I pray that you will give the students a heart to hear, um, a supernatural capacity to retain that which is relevant, that which is pertinent, that which will sharpen them, shape their lives, strengthen them, and build them up. I pray, Lord, that you will excuse me for uh, the superfluous thoughts that get uh, thrown into uh, the teaching, that the thoughts that are my own. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take control of the conversation and that you would bring the Messiah to the forefront of the discussion. May his name be glorified. May his kingdom be strengthened on the earth. Thank you for the um, uh, the book of Galatians and for superintending the writings. We thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul to uh, bring a relevant message to those of us who need to hear it in the 21st century. Those Jews and Gentiles called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Those who have been uh, brought into a relationship with you through via your son Yeshua. Thank you, Father, for this awesome, awesome responsibility. Bless you as you uh, uh, continue to um, raise us up in these last and evil days. Give us a voice of reason, of sanity in a uh, world gone uh, desperately upside down, turned upside down, in a church too often in compromise. A world in, uh, give us a voice for a world in chaos and a church too often in compromise. Uh, help us to be witnesses, ambassadors, salt and light in this very dark world. Give us the opportunity to share our testimony with friends and family members and those whom we might meet on the street. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Let's date stamp our recording. Tonight is, um, it's actually July, it's actually July 19th, 2016, and this is week, uh, 33 in our study on the, uh, the book of Galatians. And as I mentioned earlier, my name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat in the, in the Denver, Colorado, in Thornton, Colorado, actually. Um, I invite you out each week to join me Tuesday evenings from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time right here for our study, live study, on the Exegeting Galatians material. And we just, we're just going, um, oh, basically chapter by chapter uh, through the notes, and we're trying to just work our way through a commentary that I wrote that is available on my website at tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. Right along the top, click on the link that says um, Galatians Commentary, and uh, from there you can just pick up the study. 
For those of you who are in the live class with me tonight, what I'll be doing is, is since we're meeting on Skype, I'm sharing my computer screen, and you should be able to see, for instance, I've got my own website pulled up, Tetzator Ministries, Tetzator.com, and uh, if I click on the Galatians commentary link along the top, then I bring up the Galatians page, and you can see the relevant notes and uh, the topics that we're going to be uh, talking about during the study. It's a great way to follow along, so I join you. I, I uh, invite you to join me every Tuesday evening. For those who can't make the live study, uh, but wish you could, I at least uh, hope that you're picking up the commentaries via podcast. Head on over to iTunes. You don't have to even have iTunes on your computer. You can actually just uh, browse for it, and uh, there's a kind of a web version of iTunes. Not the full-blown, but at least you can pick out my commentary by um, Google searching iTunes and Hanavi, or iTunes and Ariel Hanavi, or iTunes and Galatians, and then looking through the notes. Um, find the podcast and join the audio session there. It's recorded after the fact, but you're still going to get what we talked about. Or head on over to my website at uh, Tetsay Torah, and when you uh, hit the Galatians page, um, there's a link there that it's available on iTunes. There's also uh, once you um, there's also information about the uh, uh, the live study, and if you click on the button that talks about the live the live internet study and scroll down into the page, there's a link there for live study audio recordings. And that's where I upload um, all of the Galatians uh, uh, audios that we perform each week. Um, and if you missed a session, then you can go back there and catch this. Uh, all 32 weeks are there right now, and after we're done recording this one, we'll go ahead and upload week 33. Give me about uh, 24, 48 hours to do some editing behind the scenes, and then should be available. Okay? All right. Without further ado, let's... Uh, Without further delay, let's jump into some liturgy for tonight, as I'm fond of doing. We're going to use the Ezekiel passage once again. We've been using this for a few weeks. It's because we're on this topic of Torah observance, Torah obedience, under the law, and um, things like that. We're talking basically about the role of the law, the role of the Torah in the life of a believer. And you already know that I believe that the Torah is still an ongoing um, part of the life of a believer in Yeshua both Jew and Gentile. And for that reason, I'm pulling a passage out of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 22 through 28, out of the ESV, because there's such a wonderful promise couched right here in the middle of this passage. Let's read the English, and then I'll read some Hebrew. Um, the English says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you. From the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. I'm sorry. Let's start in verse 26 again. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. <clears throat> and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that your fathers, uh, that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. Let's go back and read the Hebrew of that same passage and uh, just uh, enjoy the rich, um, the rich um, uh, legacy that's been left behind for us by the Hebrew writers themselves. Uh, the Hebrew reads, "Lachain amor levet Yisrael ko amar Adonai Hashem lo lemaanchem ani osei bet Yisrael ki im Lashem kadshi asher chalaltem bat goyim asher batem sham vekidashti et shmi hagadol ham chulal bat goyim asher chalaltem batocham veyadu hagoyim ki ani Adonai neum Adonai Hashem vehikadshi vechem." Scroll down a bit. This is verse 24. 
וזלחתי עליכם מים טחורים וטחרתם כל טומאותיכם ומכל גלוליכם אטהיר אתכם. ונתתי לכם לב חדש ורוח חדשה אתן בקרבכם וחסיר אותי את לב האבן מבשרכם ונתתי לכם לב בשר. And the final verse, verse 28. Okay, that's our Hebrew selection. And I apologize for all the noise in the background. You can tell this is a live recording. There's um, some uh, police vehicles or something going by in the background, so you're hearing all the sirens. I hope it's not too distracting. Uh, I rather like the live setting. I want you to realize I'm, that these are recorded live. So, uh, And I happen to live on a harbor. So if you hear, and I mean, I'm, I'm right on the harbor. I can look out my window and see the water. Um, so if you hear if you hear a horn blast that's from a boat passing by or something like that, I apologize if it's not too loud. I'll just leave it in the recording. All right, let's turn to another passage. This is um, this is actually our New Testament, uh, New Covenant Apostolic Scripture selection. This is uh, the familiar passage that we're we've been using from the Book of Galatians. We've read this one a few times before, and I singled this one out again, just bringing it up to our recollection because of verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3, where Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. And because we know that Paul is teaching against, um, he's, he's teaching against a first century misuse of ethnicity or misuse of identity and misuse of Torah obedience, then it seems like his warning against obligation to keep the whole law is taken to mean that Paul's warning is to steer clear of Torah observance. And we're going to talk about that topic, Torah obedient, tonight. That's our topic. And so I brought this uh, passage back so that we could just just remind ourselves that it's not really Torah obedience that Paul is warning against. He's, he's warning against something else. So let's just read the passage and maybe we'll exegete a part of this again for us. This is Galatians 5, 1 through 6 and it reads for freedom Christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery look I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision Christ will be of no advantage to you I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law you're severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law you have fallen away from grace for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Let's bring up the um, Greek. This time I just um, pulled up a website, uh, biblehub.com, and I've got Galatians 5 uh, from the, I think this is the SBLGNT Greek, or it might be the, uh, the Nestle Greek, I can't remember. Uh, this is the Nestle 1904 with the variants plugged in. So um, let's just read those first six verses as well here. Uh, uh, the the uh, Greek reads, Te eleutheria hemos Christos eleutherosin, stekete un kai me pollen zugo duleus in a keste. Ide ego polos legu human hati in peritem nesta, Christos humas uden ophalese. Marturo mai de pollen panti anthropo peritem nameno. Hati ofelates est in Hollandon naman poesai. Katergeter hapo, I'm sorry, um, apocristu hoitinis in namo decauste, tes haratas exabasate. Hemes garp numati epistios ilpida decausunes apectec gometha en garer Christo Jesu. Ute pertume ti escuute acrobustia. And that's going to be our Greek selection for tonight. Um, when Paul, uh, our, the verse we're, we're kind of highlighting is this uh, chapter, uh, verse 3. Um, this, this phrase, um, uh, all... 
of the law, all the law you are to keep. Halantan Naman Poesai. And um, this is really the phrase that uh, that kind of drives the whole passage for many average Christians. Uh, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Halantan Naman Poesai, that Greek phrase there uh, that we read about in the uh, English. You're obligated to keep the whole law. And um, are we really obligated to keep the whole law? Well, let's talk about it. All right, let's go to my commentary and uh, click on, I'm sorry, let's go to my commentary and figure out where we're at, just real quick, uh, since we're moving through the, the table of contents. We're now on uh, number eight, number eight, topic section number eight, working our way down through ten topics. We're almost done with the topical section to this commentary, and then we'll just turn right to a basically a verse-by-verse -verse exposition, chapter one, two, three, etc. But for tonight, we're going to talk about uh, Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant. All right, let's talk about this. If you're um, in the class with me, you'll see that I've got the PDF version pulled up, and we're on the top of page 62. For those of you who are uh, following along after the fact, if you're subscribed to the Galatians notes, then you should have the note, this in your notes. This is in your email. I send this out to you about a day or two in advance so that you can have the, audio, uh, the written notes to follow along with the audio notes. Top of page 62. Topic section number eight, Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant. Our section is only, I think it's about eight pages long, so um, we'll see how much we can get through tonight. If, if not, we'll turn this into a two-week teaching like we did last week. Let me read the commentary, and then um, I'll stop and I'll pause and interject if I need to. Because of the importance of the discussions on the law of God, the Torah, within the scope of a Messianic commentary in the book of Galatians, I've decided to devote an entire section to Torah observance for Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. By this point in my commentary, it should not be difficult to comprehend the massive differences between the prevailing Christian opinions and the prevailing Messianic Jewish perspectives, particularly in regards to the law of God. In a word, historic Christianity does not embrace the so-called ceremonial and civil parts of the Torah of Moshe, as in everyday lifestyle, the way historic Messianic Judaism and the current Torah movement of today does. This is what we call an in-house debate. That is, both groups of people profess belief in Yeshua. I want to stop and just make sure everyone's following along with the thoughts I just explained. Everyone understands that there's a, a kind of a, a, bay, a very heated difference between Torah obedience and the life of a believer when it comes to the discussion between traditional Christianity and traditional Messianic Judaism or the Messianic uh, groups that are, that are uh, formed today. But I also want to make sure everyone understands that um, at this point in time, we're not talking about uh, unbelieving Jews keeping the law versus Messianic Jews keeping the law. No, we're talking about two people groups, Christians and, and Messianic Jews, which are both Christians. And they're having a disagreement over the relevance of Torah. So let's keep reading. In my experience, much of the differences between these two saved people organizations regarding the relevance of Torah for Christians lean towards one or two key verses in the Gospels or in Paul, rather than carefully reasoned examinations of a whole book, the likes of Galatians. And this is unfortunate, in my opinion, because a single verse can, in effect, become the spokesman for an entire theological position. You guys understand what I'm saying? We just throw around slogans like they're bumper stickers. We're not under the law, we're under grace. We talked about under the law last week. You know, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, Galatians 5.18. We talked, we looked at that verse last week. Um, you know, if you're, uh, we're not under the law, we're under grace, taken from the uh, Romans uh, 6, 14 and 15 verse passages. And so, oftentimes, when I bring up, when I'm invited to churches to speak and when I was back in the States, and I would introduce this topic of uh, Torah observance or Shomer Mitzvot, some of the objections that are instantly raised are basically just one or two verses that form the entire backbone behind the, the, the argument or the disagreement that I'm having with uh, different people groups. Uh, Jesus did away with the law, or he nailed the law to the cross, using language found, I think, in one of the Colossians passages. Um, Jesus fulfilled the law, using language found in the, in the Matthew 5 passage, or the common, we're not under the law, uh, using language found in Paul. Um, you know, we're not justified by the law, no one's saved by the law, but by faith in Christ, using uh, language found in the, uh, Galatians chapter 2. So you see my point? 
You guys following along? So let's keep reading. Your average Bible student then, uh, after basically allowing one verse to, to, to shape their entire theology, your, your average Bible student then too easily becomes lazy, yes, I called them lazy, and fails to test the soundness of, of theology that is rooted either in a single religious slogan or in a single verse. Right? In other words, it's really bad hermeneutic principle to build most, if not all, of your theology on one verse or one religious slogan that you hear in church or synagogue. Don't do that, people. Don't do that. All right? It's not good Bible practice. It's not a good way to study your Bible. It's certainly not a good way to apply the Bible. Let's keep reading. If this is not the case, if, 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 if it seems like I'm making up charges, <laughs> if this isn't the case, then why aren't many who study the New Testament, for instance, basing their interpretations and applications of the law of God primarily on the Old Testament itself? Right? If you just run the numbers, the Old Testament outnumbers the New Testament in sheer uh, volumes, chapters, books, verses, etc. The volume of the Old Testament is larger than the volume of the New Testament. And yet, as I say, go on to say in my commentary, to be sure the overwhelming context of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, as does the whole... I'm sorry. To be sure the overwhelming context of the Tanakh, as does as a whole, as a whole, does not present a view of Torah that suggests it will be relaxed once the Messiah arrives on the scene. And that's why I read the, the Ezekiel passage. For those of you who are in my class right now, I'm pulling up the Ezekiel liturgy again. Look at verse, um, look at verses 26 and 27, right? Vanatati lechem leiv chadash chadasha. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Um, Lave heaven and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then look at verse 27. Right? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and. And be careful to obey my rules, right? So, if God in Ezekiel is promising that he's going to give a new heart, a new spirit, remove the heart of flesh, the stubborn heart, and then he's going to fill them with his spirit, look at the effect in verse 27. Cause you to walk in my statutes, Bahukai, and be careful to obey my rules, Telechu Mishpatai Tishmu Vasitem. Actually, obey my rules and do them, Asitem. So, in other words, it's, be careful to obey my rules and do them is how the, the, the English says, uh, be careful to obey my rules, but the Hebrew actually is quite a little more emphatic when it says, Umishpatai uh, Tishmu Vasitem. There's two verbs in there, Mishpatai. Uh, my rulings, Tishmeru is basically to guard them, the Asitem is to do them. So we've got two verbs going on. God says you're going to guard them, and God says you're going to do them. Tishmeru, by the way, forms the, um, is built off the same root uh, in Hebrew that we get uh, our current topic of, Shomer Mitzvot, Shamar, the root word of Shamar, which has this idea of safeguarding safeguarding, taking something and causing it to be precious to you for the purpose of taking an additional action. You safeguard it so that you can do something else. And in the case of God's commandments, like Ezekiel's talking about, the rules, the mishpatai, that he, the, 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 uh, the um, rulings, or whatever, the, 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 the mishpatai, God's mishpat, the root word mishpat, God says, because you are going to guard them, tishmeru, and do them, basitem, you are actually going to be found in obedience, and you're going to do this only by the power of the Spirit that I have placed within you. You're going to walk in my statutes and be careful to do them. So, I don't understand how, going back to my commentary to Galatians, I don't understand how we can allow one or two verses in the New Testament to simply override all of the information that we're going to read about in the Torah and the Tznach. Because, to be sure, if we were to go back and just mine through, say, the first five books of Moses... Quite positively, I'm going to uh, promise you, and we're going to see this in, in this section here, I'm, I promise you, you're not going to find verses that talk about we have no obligation to the law. It's quite the opposite. God's going to enjoin us as covenant members to walk into his statutes, to guard them and to do them. It's that Shamar and Asa all over again. Shamar, 
guard, asa, do. And we saw that in the in the um, in the uh, Ezekiel passage. So let's keep reading my commentary here, right? So I don't understand how this happens in Christianity. Why we allow one or two verses or slogans to uproot the bulk of the message that the Torah is teaching us? I would tend to think that most religious Jews, myself included, I'm, I'm reading my commentary here, I would tend to think that they would find the prevailing Christian conclusion that the law is done away with in Christ to be unfortunate. I'm speaking of my own kinsmen, right? My own Jewish people who are raised with the ancestral religions, raised in a religious setting, for the most part, that teaches that Torah obedience is relevant to Israel. I would tend to think that religious Jews would be offended and find the statement that the law is done away with in Christ, that slogan, to be an unfortunate view in the sense that such a view essentially, essentially, this is my opinion, essentially robs heritage Israel of a rich collection of historical and religious traditions that in many cases are actually rooted in the text itself, right? Right? After all, as I keep reading, not all traditions are bad. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. To be sure, the popular view in Christianity that sees the ceremonial and civil parts of the law as expired with the quote-unquote moral parts of the law continuing on amounts to what I find to be a cleverly veiled adversarial attack on those commandments that tend to make a person look like an historical Jew, viz. those uh, ceremonial and civil parts tend to make a person resemble someone who is an advocate for establishing the quote works of the law all over again. In other words... Um, let me explain. Basically, when your average Christian reads through the Torah, and for instance, if we were to single out the um, the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, the Ten Commandments have things such as, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, uh, love, the Lord your, you know, love God, um, don't commit adultery, that, that type of things. And then, those all sound good because they sound moral and upstanding. They sound like things that your average Christian can engage in without, um, without too much difficulty. But the, but the minute you pull out that one that, for instance, that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? Suddenly, if your average Christian steps into that commandment, well, then he's going to look, cope, uh, he's going to look curiously like a Jew, like an historic Jew, like a like an ancestral Jew, because why not? The Jewish people have been safeguarding Sabbath for thousands of years, and so for someone who does not um, uh, come from Jewish extraction, at least to their knowledge, doesn't do so. Then for them to suddenly or eventually take on Seventh Day Sabbath, well, then people around them are going to <clears throat> naturally associate that person with Jewishness. Make sense? So that's what I mean by um, uh, uh, est establishing the works of the law all over again. The, I'm sorry, resemble someone who's an advocate for uh, keeping the law or keeping these commandments. In other words, most Christians would say, essentially, well, we don't think the law is done away with. We just think that the moral laws are the ones that are still uh, binding on Christians today. The ceremonial and the civil laws have been done away with. And without realizing it, the 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 categorization of the ceremonial the, the categorization of the law into three parts ceremonial civil moral has the inconvenient that's my choice of words has the inconvenient um, effect of of slicing away the parts that that res, that are closely attached to the ancestral religions itself as known as Judaism so the point is your average Christian can keep nine of the Ten Commandments and still look like a, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers, a Christian. But the minute he starts keeping that tenth one, the, which is really the fourth commandment, the, the, the Sabbath, then he starts looking like a, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers, he starts looking like a Jew. And because he says to himself, I'm not a Jew, well then why should I be keeping the, the laws that either A, look, look like a Jew, or B, were actually given to the Jews anyway? Right? See my point? So the, the bad theology just compounds itself. It's quite amazing. Let's keep reading my commentary and see if I can flesh this out and work, it, work our way towards a solution. Because I don't want to just be a problem. I don't just want to be a, a point out the problem and, and I don't just want to be someone who, uh, who seemingly 
points out all the, the deficiencies in Christianity. That's not the point of my commentary at all. Let's, let me keep reading. What's more, we're near the bottom of page 62. What is more, nothing in the prophecies of Israel that we read about, particularly the Ezekiel passage, nothing hints at an apostle to the Gentiles, obviously that's Paul, who will enforce policies in Israel that teach the abrogation of Torah as a viable lifestyle of the redeemed peoples of Hashem. Make, make sense? Right? You know, if Paul is bringing the fulfillment of what the Tanakh has already been uh, teaching the people of Israel, then when Paul hits the scene, walking in the footsteps of the Messiah after him, if Paul's walking after the footsteps of Messiah and, and imitating the Messiah, and teaching the same things that the, the Messiah taught, then then if Paul's teaching that the law is done away with, that the law has been relaxed in the spirit, that we no longer have an obligation to the law as Christians, then why don't we find that theology somewhere in the talk itself? That's the point I'm trying to make. That's the challenge to the hermeneutic uh, viewpoint that teaches that the law has been done away with. So, let me keep reading. I would like to present what I believe to be scriptural proof this is my hermeneutic section here. Scriptural proof that the book of Galatians, and indeed Paul as a follower of the one true Jewish Messiah, simply could not have taught the abrogation of the Torah as a whole. Right? Pretty bold challenge. You guys are up for it? I would love to have a traditional Christian pastor or theologian uh, write to me, not because I'm smug, not because I think I have all the answers, not because I'm trying to be high-handed or haughty, but because I, w I am sincerely interested in dialoguing with someone who, who honestly believes that, that Paul came to uproot Torah and that Paul's pulling his theology from the Torah. In other words, as, as, as odd as this sounds to to religious Jewish ears, myself included, Paul is using the Torah to uproot the Torah. See my point? Because at the time of Paul's writings, historically, when he first penned his letters, there were no other writings such as the apostolic scriptures that we enjoy today. He didn't have other New Testament, I'm using air quotes with my fingers, he didn't have any other writings to formulate his theology the only writings that were available to him were the scriptures of Israel, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Correct? Makes sense so far? So, essentially what the prevailing Christian position is, um, is uh, postulating is that Paul used the law to do away with the law. Right, because Paul didn't have any other, any other corpus of writings to draw from. Therefore, he had to reach into the Old Testament to prove that the Old Testament has been done away with in Messiah. Something to that effect. All right, so I'd like to, I'd love to have a whelming um, uh, chat with someone. Uh, if you want to email me, you can uh, reach me at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. Visit my website, scroll to the very bottom of the webpage, and shoot me an email. Uh, my web, my uh, um, email address is uh, available. Just click on the little. Uh, envelope I, I'm sorry yeah click on the little envelope icon and it'll uh, shoot me an email or uh, join me on Skype and we'll dialogue during the after chat session after class session so what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to go down this direction of hermeneutic uh, uh, of um, a kind of proof texts uh, let's see if we can find um, support from the talk itself that the law is being done away with, that the law is being relaxed in the Messiah, that once the Messiah comes, the law is going to be set aside, something like that. If the New Testament teaches it and it's true, and, and that is a, a proof that I hold to, that is a truth that I affirm, if the New Testament teaches it and it is true, then it must be rooted, this is something I also hold to, then that truth must be rooted in the Tanakh. It must have also been established in Israel. It can't be so completely brand spanking new that it appears to have been made up or plucked out of thin air, right? To be sure, Jesus is proven to be the true Messiah of Israel from the scriptures of Israel, right? If you're going to witness to an unsaved Jew about who Jesus is, hint, 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 start from the Old Testament, don't start from Romans and pull out the Romans road, and or don't start from the book of John or the Gospels like many people do. Unless the Holy Spirit is telling you to do that, then go where the Holy Spirit tells you to go. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is, from a practical perspective, it makes more sense 
um, to start from their own scriptures and show them how that the scriptures of Israel, the scriptures being uh, the Tanakh, um, in other words, the law and the prophets, it makes more sense to show them how that the scriptures uphold the idea of uh, of a um, a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. So, with that kind of concept in mind, drawing from the biblical principle of presenting two or three witnesses to strengthen an argument, as I keep reading my commentary, I will cite two verses from the five books of Moses, two from the prophets, and two from the writings. So we got two witnesses, right? Because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established, that type of thing. We already know that that's a biblical verse. So I'm going to cite two verses from Moshe. That's the Torah, part of the T part of the Tanakh. Two from the prophets, that's the Nevi'im, that's the prophets. And two from the writings, the Ketuvim. And so then we'll basically have two witnesses from each of the three parts of the uh, Tanakh. And we're going to then allow these Tanakh witnesses to either buttress Paul's statement about the law or to pale in comparison to his conclusions in Galatians. Hopefully it'll be one or the other, right? We're going to try and figure out, does the Tanakh agree with the traditional theology that teaches that the law is done away with? Or, or is it in fact instead the opposite? The Tanakh actually supports the claim that I'm teaching the, the theology that I'm holding to, that the law is still relevant for us. Which is it going to be? Right? Reminds me of that old TV show. Uh, will the real, you know, person please stand up? And they, you know, say their name. Will the real Torah please stand up? Will the real Apostle Paul please stand up? That type of thing. So that no foul play accusations may be leveled in my choice of verses from the Humash from. Uh, from the uh, five books, I selected only verses that refer, uh, refer to the written Torah as it pertains to its historical revelation via Sinai, post-Avraham, post-Egyptian Exodus. In other words, here's what I mean by that, That, uh, in case it doesn't make sense to you. The, the word Torah, the word law, that is rendered in English, uh, the Hebrew word Torah, the word uh, law, is, uh, the, to apply it to the written Torah doesn't take place until historically Israel actually receives the law, which is what Exodus, um, the book of Exodus and later, so Exodus and following. In other words, if you read about how Abraham kept God's laws and statutes and judgments in the book of Genesis, well, they can't possibly mean the written, much, many of the written laws that we read about in the Torah because they weren't actually written down yet and therefore they weren't applicable. So, for instance, Abraham didn't really keep the Passover at least not that I'm aware of, how could Abraham not keep the Passover? Because there was no such historical event. So that, that's just an example to help you understand. So when I say Torah, when I, I'm going to pull two from the book of Moshe, I mean two from Exodus and later. As you are going to see later on, they actually come from Deuteronomy, which seems to fit the description. So let's let's read this. Two passages from the Torah, two passages from the prophets, and two from the writings. Let's go. First one is Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. And um, this is a very familiar passage. Look, I've taught you laws and rulings just as Adonai my God ordered me, so that you can behave accordingly in the land where you're going in order to possess it. Therefore, observe them and follow them. For then all peoples will see you as having wisdom and understanding when they hear of all these laws and they will say, this great nation is surely a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God as close to them as Adonai our God is whenever we call on him? Which, I'm sorry, what great nation is there that has laws and rulings as just as this entire Torah which I'm setting before you today? End quote. Did you guys catch it there? Did we see anything there that Deut that Moshe spoke about that um, that that, that hints of God relaxing uh, their covenant responsibilities that, as pertains to Torah obedience. Anything in there? Anything in that passage? I didn't see anything. If I mean, I'm I'm trying to be sincere without sounding um, cynical or sounding uh, um, a smug, as I mentioned earlier, or sounding uh, uh, sarcastic. I'm I'm not trying to present that. What what I'm trying to say is. I simply don't see anything here in this passage that seems to hint at the abrogation of Torah for covenant members. And surely, believers in Jesus are covenant members. We know that's true. We know that. We know that. So, uh, that's the first passage. Let's read the... Uh, by the way, I like to call this Deuteronomy passage. I like to call this the, the, 
Jewish Great Commission. I say Jewish there because at the time that this passage was given to Israel, Israel was largely comprised of ethnic Jews, uh, of physical offspring of Jacob. And so you notice that there's this... um, this kind of this interaction between Israel and the surrounding nations, and the interaction is a dialogue uh, over the uh, greatness of Israel's God and the uh, the closeness of Israel's God and the justness, the justness, uh, the 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 the, uh, the righteousness, if I could switch words, uh, of the entire the entire Torah, the laws of God Himself. So, isn't that isn't that interesting? Uh, this nation is surely a wise and understanding people. Is that what the surrounding peoples of, say of Israel today? I don't know. I, I don't know if that's is that what the surrounding peoples of Israel, uh, surrounding peoples, nations of the world, say of Christians today. Well, we'll see. Uh, here's our second passage, Deuteronomy 30. You can tell I like Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy 30, 10 through 14. Quote. However, all of this. This is Moshe again speaking. All of this will happen only if you what? Pay attention to what Adonai your God says, so that you obey his mitzvot and regulations which are written in this book of the Torah. Doesn't sound like he's telling them to walk away from Torah, sounds like the opposite. If you turn to Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being, for this mitzvah, this commandment, which I'm giving you today is not too hard for you. Whoever said that the law is too hard, that the law is a millstone, that the law is an impossible standard, obviously hasn't read this verse. It is not beyond your reach. It isn't in the sky so that you need to ask who will go up into the sky for us, bring it to us, and make us hear it so that we can obey it. Likewise, Moshe continues, it isn't beyond the sea so that you need to ask who will cross the sea for us, bring it to us, and make us hear it so that we can obey it. On the contrary, Moshe says, the word is very close to you in your mouth, even in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. Whoever said you can't keep the Torah hasn't read this passage. Moshe says you can do it. Why can you do it? Because it's in your mouth, even in your heart. So, two passages from the Torah. Let's keep going. Here's our two witnesses from the prophets, the Nevi'im. Quote, this is Joshua 1, 7 through 8. Only be strong and very bold in taking and, and taking care to follow all of the Torah, which Moshe, my servant, ordered you to follow do not turn from it either to the right or to the left, and then you will succeed whether you wherever you go. Yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you will take care to act according to everything written in it. Then your understandings, undertakings will prosper and you will succeed. Let me just pause real quick and just check Skype, make sure everything's okay with the students, make sure we're not losing anyone, make sure no one has tried to join and has not been able to join. Um, Looks good so far. The students that are in the class, looks like they're still there. And I don't see anyone that's tried to jump in uh, since we started. So let's just keep going. All right. Let's read another passage out of the prophets. Um, this time is First uh, Kings or Malachim Aleph, First Kings eight fifty six through sixty one. Reads quote, "Blessed be Adonai who has given rest to his people Israel in accordance with everything he promised. Not one word has failed of his good promise which he made through Moshe his servant. May Adonai our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us." or abandon us. In this way, he will incline our hearts toward him, watch this, so that we will live according to his ways and observe his mitzvot, those are commandments, laws and rulings, which he ordered our fathers to obey. May these words of mine, which I have used in my plea before Adonai, be present with Adonai our God, day and night, so that he will uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel day by day. Then all the peoples of the earth will know that Adonai is God. There is no other. So be wholehearted with Adonai our God, living by his laws and observing his mitzvot as you are doing today. End quote. Wow, what a great passage, right? Reminds me of the Ezekiel passage where God puts his laws within us. God writes his 
Torah on our heart, to use the verbiage from the Jeremiah 31, 31 passage. God fills us with His Spirit, brings us into the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah. Because remember, Jeremiah's language and, and Ezekiel's language, they complement one another. It's the same message of, of reparation, of, of, um, of um, establishing the new covenant with corporate Israel. And God places His Torah within us so that we can walk into His ways. We can live according to his ways. We can, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. The thing we couldn't do because we were former slaves. We were in bondage to sin and shame. And we groped about in darkness. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And therefore we could not do what God asked us. But hallelujah, praise God, Baruch Hashem, because of what he has done for us in Messiah, we can now live pleasing to God. So, again, I don't see anything here in this passage from Kings that talks or hints at the fact that now that we have God empowering us, because remember it says, in this way He will incline our hearts toward Him, right? God is the one who is empowering us. In this way He will incline our hearts toward Him. He's doing it. Just like God replaces the the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. It's something God does. Right? God is the one who opens our eyes. God is the one that causes us to stand on, on the rock whose name is Messiah. So therefore, God is the one who gets the praise and the glory when we're even able to do the Torah, when we're able to walk into Torah obedience. Amen? Amen. It's a good time to say amen. I don't see anything in this passage that's hinting at once we come into a right relationship with God as Jews or Gentiles, once we come into a right relationship with God, I don't see anything in these passages that hints of us leaving our obligation to the Torah. I don't see that. So let's keep reading. Our second passage from the Ketuvim, the writings, is from the book of Psalms. This time it's chapter 19, verse 8, which is verse 7 in your Christian Bibles, but it's verse 8 in the Hebrew version, through verse 12 in the Hebrew, which is actually verse 11 in the English. Let's read it. Quote, The Torah... Of Adonai is perfect, restoring the inner person. The instruction of Adonai is sure, making wise the thoughtless. The precepts of Adonai are right, rejoicing the heart. The mitzvah, that's the commandment, of Adonai is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Adonai, the yirat Adonai, is clean, enduring forever. The rulings of Adonai are true, they are righteous altogether, more desirable than gold than much fine gold, also sweeter than honey or drippings from the honeycomb. Through them, look at this, look at this promise. Through them, your servant is warned, in obeying them there is great reward. End quote. People, please, listen to me. Listen to my impassioned plea. I'm trying to get my fellow Christians who don't espouse to keeping the Torah to... Consider that God wants to reward you for keeping the Torah. In reality, you're already keeping a large part of the Torah. So why even teach the opposite? Why even suppose that the laws will be done away with when, whether you know it or not, you're actually keeping the central parts of the Torah. Belief in Yeshua, being filled with the Spirit, walking in love. Those are central pillars of Torah obedience. They're not peripherals. They are the meat of keeping the Torah, and every genuine Christian is already doing that. Amen? And so God says, in obeying them, there is great reward. That means Christians should be rewarded. And yet, by the same token, we have much of Christian theology that teaches the Torah is no longer relevant. We don't have to keep Sabbath. We don't have to keep kosher. We don't have to keep the festivals. We don't have to put a mezuzah on our door. We don't have to wear seed seed on our clothing. How can we How can we teach that? It, it's... It, it flows from mistaken theology. It flows from ignorance of the text. And may God forgive us for our ignorance. Let's keep reading one more passage, or one more set of passages. Um, actually, I, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, designate um, the, uh, the two from the, uh, the, the prophets, the Nevi'im, were the Joshua passage and the King's passage. And now we're turning towards the writings, the Ketuvim. So the first one was the book of Psalms, the Ketuvim. And the second one is from the book of Proverbs. 
For the mitzvah is a lamp. The mitzvah is commandment. For the commandment is a lamp. The Torah is light and reproofs that discipline are the way of life. That's Proverbs 6.23. The commandment is a lamp and Torah is light. If we say that the law is done away with, we're doing away with light in our life. We're doing away with a source of light in our life, right? What does the, uh, what does the, uh, the passage say as well? Uh, well, it's probably best remembered from Amy Grant's song from a few years back. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Of course, Amy Grant didn't make up those words. She took them straight out of, I believe it's the book of Psalms. But it might be the book of Proverbs. But either way, it's out of the writings, right? Amy Grant took that. She didn't steal it from the Bible, but she borrowed it. So thy word, her popular song, thy word is a light and a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's really straight from this, probably from here, from Proverbs here. Uh, the, the commandment is a lamp, the Torah is a light. Or it might be from the other passage that, that uh, talks about the Torah being a light unto our path. Either way, if we say, if we suppose, if we imagine that the Torah has been done away with, relaxed in Jesus, fulfilled in Christ, uh, nailed to the cross, no longer under the Torah because we're walking according to the Spirit, etc., etc., etc. If that is our, our theology, then doesn't it stand to reason that we are actually robbing ourselves of an important source of light that should be in our life? Right? Shouldn't the Torah? I mean, did God's word suddenly change and become dark? And that's why it's done away with? Did the light go out? Did the light bulb burn out? Ridiculous questions, obviously. Let's read now our witnesses from the uh, the apostolic scriptures, which, since we're talking about Galatians, we're just going to let Paul tell us um, what he thinks about the Torah. And this really should be a no-brainer at this point in time. If the law has been done away with, and if Paul is the one that's the primary advocate for uh, relaxing the law for Christians, then why does Paul say in Romans 7.12, so the Torah is holy, that is, the commandment is holy, just, and good, end quote. If the law has been done away with, then is Paul saying that a good commandment and a holy, just, and good Torah is done away with? It's relaxed? Sounds confusing to me at best. Let's keep reading what Paul said to Timothy. This is, again, a very familiar passage, especially people who are in Messianic circles use this passage quite a bit. Let's read it. But you, Paul speaking to young Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, recalling the people from whom you learned it, and recalling, too, how from childhood, remember, Timothy um, had a Jewish, uh, is it Timothy here, who had a Jewish mother and Jewish grandmother, Lois, and I can't remember his grandmother's name, or it was his grandmother's name, Lois. Either way, Paul's trying to help Timothy understand the, 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 the ancestral background behind his mother's side of the family, the Jewish side of his family, even though we know his father was a Greek, and that's why Paul had to, uh, Paul chose to demonstrate the truth of circumcision in Acts chapter 16, right? Right after the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15, where they decided that the, the, the Gentiles being turning to God do not need to become Jews in order to be counted as covenant members. Paul turns around in Acts 16 and circumcises Timothy, who we know had a Jewish mother but a Greek father. So um, Paul is speaking to this Timothy, this Timothy who had Jewish background, Jewish ancestral, Jewish ancestry on his mother's side. Recall the people from whom you learned it, recalling too how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Well, if he had a Greek father who wasn't teaching him the Scriptures, let's assume, at least we know that his mother and his grandmother were um, giving him those Scriptures. These Scriptures, Paul goes on to say, which can give you the wisdom that leads to deliverance through trusting in Yeshua the Messiah. All scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed. Well, all at the time that Paul wrote this verse must have included primarily the Tanakh. Amen? All scripture, all scripture, all of the Tanakh is God-breathed, and it's valuable for teaching the truth, for convicting of sin, for correcting faults, for training in right living. Thus, <clears throat> Anyone who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. End quote. So if the Torah has been done away with, if the Torah has been relaxed, if the Torah is no longer relevant, then why is Paul telling us that, number one, it's God-breathed and is valuable? 
valuable for teaching, for, for teaching the truth. It's valuable for conviction of sin. It's valuable for correcting faults and training in right living. Give me a moment. I just need to uh, clear my voice here. <clears throat> So if the Torah has been done away with, why is, why is it valuable at all? Why would it be valuable? Why would it still convict us of sin, correcting us of faults, and training in right living? It sounds to me that Paul is basically describing a phenomenon of law that's similar to what James said as we look into the perfect law of liberty, as we look into the law as a mirror and allow it to show us our deficiencies. He who looks into this mirror and walks away without changing anything is a fool. He's the person who doesn't understand how to use this tool called Torah. And so uh, what I'm suggesting is that as children of Abraham, as those who have been set free by the Messiah Yeshua and now have eyes opened by the Spirit, the Ruach, we should be using the Torah, we should be looking into the Torah and allowing it to look into our lives and to highlight the deficiencies, to teach the truth to convict us of sin, to correct our faults, and allowing the Torah in the hands of the Holy Spirit to train us in right living. We're talking about the, um, uh, the passage we just read in the Second Timothy, the very familiar passage about Paul uh, admonishing Timothy to continue what he's learned, to, uh, to, to be convinced uh, that the holy scriptures that he received as a child, these these Tanakh scriptures, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the, prophet, the the writings, the law, the prophets, and the writings, uh, that's the all scripture that, that Paul primarily must have had in view when he was writing this uh, verse in Timothy. However, by, um, by now, since Paul's letter itself also became holy scripture, from our 21st century perspective, when we read the verse that says all scripture, we must now include the very letter to the book of Timothy. Make sense? Even though chronologically and historically when Paul wrote the words, I, I don't believe that Paul knew emphatically that the letters he was writing were, were actually going to become canonized to become part of scripture. He probably knew that they were inspired and that they were certainly God-led that he was writing them under the inspiration and power and direction of the risen Messiah, Yeshua. But I don't think he probably imagined that they would become canonized and that they would become part of Scripture. At least, I don't see any, any hint of that. Uh, otherwise, why does he say things like, uh, I say, uh, these are my words, not the Lord. I say, not, not the Lord. You know, we've read certain uh, phrases in Paul that are kind of curious. But nevertheless, it doesn't matter because we know now that they have been canonized, that they have been God-approved, as it were. They, they are now God-breathed. We know after the fact that they are Holy Scripture. So now we can say, when Paul says all Scripture, that it includes not only the New Testament, using air quotes with my fingers, the so-called New Testament, but it also and still does include the Old Testament, the so-called Old Testament. Amen? Okay, so um, let me keep going in the commentary for just a bit. Uh, I think I want to go down to just maybe one or two more paragraphs, and then we'll probably uh, draw the commentary to a close and pick it up next week. So I've given you two passages out of the Torah, two passages out of the prophets, and two passages out of the writings, and two passages out of the apostolic scriptures. I go on to say in my commentary, this admittedly limited presentation of select Bible passages clearly enjoins ongoing covenant faithfulness and loyalty to Hashem upon any and all who wish to be counted among the members of God's family called Israel. Christians may not choose to identify the life they lead as Torah observance, and I talked about this earlier. But make no mistake, it is in fact keeping with the law of God, the Torah of Moshe, to espouse genuine faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, and to pattern one's life after the life that he lived. In this way, whether, he's, whether one is Jewish or not, or whether a Christian embraces the so-called ceremonial and civil parts of the Torah or not, becomes an issue related to ongoing sanctification due to the biblical reality that faith working through love from Galatians 5.6, is in point of fact to be, as Orthodox Jews say, 
Shomer Mitzvot, viz. Torah Observant. And then we're going to talk about this notion of Torah Observant uh, next week. And that's where I want to leave off and, and uh, break the commentary in half. So basically, we've, we've kind of gotten an introduction to this idea of Torah Observant. And what I want to, um, I, I, in closing, I just want to encourage those listening to my commentary, Jews and Gentiles, to look into this matter a bit further. Go back and look up the passages I read. Look at the context. Go back and see if you can begin to to uh, notice that the message of the New Testament doesn't disagree with the message of the Old Testament. The theology of the New Testament is not in opposition to the theology of the theology of the messages of the Old Testament. They don't differ. We know they don't differ in regards to who Yeshua is. We know that the Messiah promised in the Old Testament is the Messiah presented in the New Testament. We know the prom- the Messiah, how do they say it? The Messiah concealed in the Old Testament is the Messiah revealed in the New. We know that's true. So then why can't we use that same hermeneutic principle when it comes to the Torah? The same laws that God enjoined upon Israel in the Old Testament are the same laws that he enjoins upon Israel in the New Testament. And here's the thing. The thing is that Israel's borders are being expanded in the New. Israel's um, numbers are being swelled as she incorporates those grafted in from the nations, grafted into remnant Israel via faith in Messiah Yeshua. Read Romans chapter 11 and, and carefully notice the olive tree theology where branches are broken off from the wild olive tree and grafted to the cultivated olive tree. The, the uh, wild olive tree is obviously those from the nations, and the cultivated olive tree is, is obviously the, um, the family group, the visible family, the visible people of God as represented by uh, national Israel. And these wild branches, these Gentiles, through Messiah, are grafted directly to the remnant of Israel. And that's a wonderful truth. And what do you suppose is given to these grafted-in branches once they become true Israelites via faith in Yeshua? Well, of course, they're given the Torah, the covenants of God, the promises of God, the, the assurances that God makes with his people, the fact that God can be trusted and counted on to protect them and to fill them with his precious Holy Spirit. That's what's given to genuine and lasting covenant members. So, I'm going to leave off there. The challenge I, I make to those who disagree is to go back and read this on your own. Go back and study the passages out. And see if, see if you will allow the, the, the words of Scripture to speak for themselves. To be sure, something I, I, I don't want to hear about, that I don't want to read about, that I, that I desperately hope doesn't take place, is that Torah-observant Jews and Gentiles look down their nose at Christians who don't keep the ceremony of civil, etc., don't keep Sabbath, dietary issues. I hope that um, Torah-observant people don't look down their nose at these other people's, other, their brothers and sisters in Christ, for not keeping the law. Don't judge your brothers and sisters. Don't judge one another. We know that's not Torah. That's, that doesn't uphold any type of love at all. That That doesn't model the walk of Yeshua. Rather, we all come from different backgrounds, and so we just need to challenge one another, spurn one another on towards a greater, stronger, more efficient, and more um, uh, mature walk in Christ. We are to to um, uh, build one another up in love, but to also continue to, um, uh, how should I say, admonish one another to continue to walk in this uh, covenant membership that we enjoy through Christ. So let's close in prayer, and then... Um, unfortunately, since I've, I've got to uh, run and take care of this announcement, whatever it is, I think there's uh, some um, uh, personal matters I need to take care of. I'm not going to be able to uh, enjoy the, um, the, the, the chat that I normally do after a class. So for those in the class, I'm afraid I'll have to, uh, we'll have to dismiss and then uh, I'll have to uh, sign out of Skype. But let me close in prayer and uh, draw the commentary to a close. Father, I bless your name and I thank you for the... Um, I thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together. Lord, I bless you for your word, all of it. I thank you for uh, your truths that have been uh, written down, passed along, preserved, and have now been brought to life because your spirit 
has brought them to life to me. Indeed, without the Ruach HaKodesh opening my eyes to understand that Yeshua is my Messiah, that Yeshua is Lord, and that these words are mine, without his um, revelation, without his enlightenment, there is no way I could have understood that these words are life. They won't be life to me. They'll be actually be words of death. They'll actually be words of condemnation. They'll actually, um, uh, they'll actually condemn me as a sinner instead of the words that are supposed to be promising life. So thank you, Lord, that because you set your love and affection on me, you have raised me up, you have opened my eyes, you have caused me to walk in truth. I can now declare that Jesus is Lord, and I can know that these words are relevant, and that I can walk in them. I am empowered to do so. Thank you for this, Lord. Bless you as you continue to raise us up as a community of Jews and Gentiles who rally our banner around Yeshua. He is our captain. He is our, um, he is our high and strong tower. He is our, our uh, lighthouse. And he is the one that we will look to for strength and for guidance. Bless you, Father, as you continue to move us along in your program. Uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Give us feet to walk out this commandment. And we will be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Omen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God walk in all his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>